Psalm 66 through 68. And obviously the theme in most of the songs you could probably zero in on are the worship of Yahweh. And these, appreciate the song selection tonight. When you think about the Psalms, you think about our worship and how David approaches these. This is the songbook. This is the songbook of Israel. This is songbook number two. We're in songbook number two of Israel's songbook. And number six, please turn to number 66 tonight, you know. <laughs> and, you know, I love Warren Wiersbe. He's one of my favorite guys. He's a very wise brother. He's now with the Lord. I love his quotes. I'll give you a couple of them tonight. <clears throat> this is on worship. We were made so that we would worship God, love people, and use things. However, if we worship ourselves, we will ignore God, start loving things, and begin to use people. And the thing about worship is that it keeps us centered. It keeps us, you know, it keeps us where we belong. We're fallen creatures, utterly dependent and in need of God. And that's so critical in the life of a believer. Because you can get ahead of the Lord, you can get behind the Lord, you can get you just you can get out of your out of touch with yourself in a hurry. But the worship of God is a it's a transforming experience in our lives. There's nothing else like it. And and I think that's what the church is suffering from today is a lack of it. And you know, not can you can, can this be said with with somewhat of accuracy? Would you say that all song services and all gatherings on Sunday morning are true worship services? Because if it were, I think the conduct of the church would be much different. Because when you are truly worshiping God in spirit and truth, it is a transforming experience. You are not the same. I know you might think you're not growing and you're not any different, but... Sometimes you have to think, where were you five years ago? Where were you five years ago in your walk? Would you say that you've made a little pro- at least a little bit of progress since then? See, it's, it's not really measurable to us. But the way we respond to people, how we see things, there's been growth. And it's all because we spent time in the presence of God and he's changed us. Maybe even without really perceiving it. And so, with that thought, let's jump in here to Psalm 66. And, and this, is, <laughs> this is kind of a slam against our Western culture. Because, believe it or not, David was a very emotional guy. <laughs> Shout, sing, and praise. <laughs> you know, you guys are pretty rowdy this past Sunday, I will say that, though. Getting a little Pentecostal on us here. But the word, you know, it says, <laughs> but this is interesting, and it's quite scriptural, I might say. Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Sing out the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. 
They shall sing praises to your name. That right out of the gate there, I think is, he is telling us what to do, and it is worship from our heart. The word shout here is, it, it, it's, it's, it's the cry that would be made as you're going into battle or after you return from victory. Like, you know, we only do that over sport, sporting events in our culture, right? <laughs> when our team wins or our team scores, it's, you know. But don't do that in church. Don't do that to God because yeah, that's fanatical. Isn't that why they call them fans in the begin with? You know, when it comes to sporting events, they're, they're fans, they're fanatics, right? Well... If I'm going to be a fanatic and if I'm going to be labeled for that, I'd rather be labeled a fanatic for God. I'm, the, I'm a fan of Yahweh, by the way, right? But shout. This is cheering with jubilance. You know, for you stoic individuals that have to be pushed, poked with a pin to get any kind of emotional response, you know. You know, your favorite, I know your favorite song is Feelings. Right, <laughs> not. <laughs> but this is the battle cry. This is how we. This is how we. And this is why I think it's important. Like when we begin our worship service, it's not always because you don't want to just try to get people pumped up and emotional to you know that kind of a thing. But there's nothing wrong with starting out with a a song that gets you going. And because if you're singing it to the Lord, it it's. A song of victory. Jesus won the battle for us. We can come into the presence. We're singing from a place of victory. We're shouting over what he did on our behalf. And there's, this is what it's about. Make a joyful shout. You know, sing to honor his name. You know, if you have this in your mind when you're doing it, I don't really care what anybody else thinks. I could care less. It doesn't matter. I love him. I'm not afraid to kiss my wife in public. I'm not afraid to worship my God. If you really, something really is important to you, you don't really care what other people think. This is what it's, David was uh, not very apologetic about his worship. So what to do is worship from your heart. Verse three is what to pray. Well, I don't know how to pray. That's one of the things when I first got saved. It's like, Lord, I don't know how to pray. Would you please teach me how to pray? I don't know how to pray. Now, I didn't read, I didn't know the Lord's, even know the Lord's prayer at that time. I just knew I didn't know how to pray. So it's like, well, I'm just going to ask him, would you show me how to pray? Well, David does the same thing here. You know, or at least it gives us a little insight. What do you pray? Well, start with his works. Say, how awesome are your works? I guarantee if you take a moment and just begin to think about creation, I mean, it, it'll shut your mouth and you'll be dumbfounded. It, really, that's what the word awesome means. It means, not only does it mean to be in dread, like fearfully afraid, you know, he uses this word, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Just, just consider creation just for a moment. Everything... Everything in creation, the smallest creature, is made with incredible, incredible detail. Think of the, the things that are in the sea that we don't even know the half of what's in there. They're still discovering things. And everything that's made there is made with explicit detail. And 
not as well as ourselves, right? Just consider his works, reflect, reflect upon his works. And that's a reflection of him. And consider, as he says, another thing to pray for is just the consideration of his power and his authority. He has the power to make and he has the power to sustain it all. <laughs> I, I get caught up sometimes listening to, to, to Christians debate atheists. I just, I, I don't know what it is. I like to see them get tortured. I'm not sure what it is. It's something, it's amusing to me to some degree, but I also get, feel really bad because they're so, they're so blinded. They think God, they can't get, they can't get out of this physical realm to imagine that there's something way beyond this present reality that they can sense with their five senses. And it's just, they just can't get there. So because they can't get there, there can't be a God, you know. And then we have guys that are able to articulate the Lord in a way that hopefully reaches some of these fellas. But we should consider his power and his authority. And, and then uh, another thing we can pray for is um, really understand how weak our enemy is. Sometimes we get this feeling that Satan and God are actually the same on the same level. This is what you get with, you know, good and evil. The evil is just as strong as the good. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. It's not even in, it's not even a it's not even a fight. Well, then why does all this go on? Well, that's because it's called choice, human choice. God has allowed us to to have free will. And, he's, and this is the big question, right? Why does God allow evil? Because he gives us free choice. He's letting people choose. And if he took away all the evil, guess who else would go away with that? <laughs> you and me. Because we're part of that at this point. And so um, it's good to consider the weaknesses of our foes. And that, again, he... Is calling for the earth to worship. And this is something that goes through all three of these psalms here. So I'm spending a little more time on the first one here. So what we're to do is to worship, what we're to pray, what we're to see. Beginning in verse 5, Come and see the works of the Lord. He is awesome in his doings towards the sons of men. He's turned the sea into dry land. They went through the river on foot. And there... We will rejoice in him. He rules by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the nations, the rebellious, exalt themselves. So he encourages, and this is, again, another thing, a form of worship. David and often rehearses the history of Israel. How did we get there? He wasn't there, but he's in this timeline. Just like we're now on the timeline, we're, we're here now. But David reflects upon how he got where he is from his ancestor, and he takes him, he goes, he reflects upon that. Israel's deliverance, how they crossed the Red Sea, obviously, is an inference there. He turned the sea into dry land, but then they went through the river on foot. That's crossing into the Jordan. They got into the promised land in a miraculous way. This deliverance of God, he's remembering. And boy, I think that's part of our worship is to remember where we came from. And that's a part of being, keeping us centered. You know, Paul uses the language when he writes, uh, I think it's to the Corinthians, he says, 
you know, and he's re- writing to them being saved, and he's re- re- rehearsing, you know, the sinners. He says, such were some of you. <laughs> that language, like, don't ever forget that we were, such were some of you. you know, we're, we need to remember our past. So he remembers Israel's deliverance and how God revealed his power. You know, people are looking, well, where's God? Well, they, they really are asking a question that's already been answered centuries ago if they would just read the history books. God destroyed the Egyptian civilization. He reduced them, destroyed their ruler, drowned their army and Pharaoh in the Red Sea. He just, you know, doesn't it not say in the scriptures that he raised Pharaoh up to, just to reveal himself and his glory? So these people who say there is no God are, are, as God calls them, fools. They're ignorant and willingly so. But uh, we're to see this. We're to reflect upon the works of God and his power. That's part of our observation. And I think what will happen to us if we start doing that immediately? How can you go out, not go outside or look at creation and, and, and just be filled with awe and wonder and begin to worship? It's the most natural thing that happens. If you're, if you're down and depressed and discouraged, it's probably because you've been in the house too long. you got cabin fever. Get outside and just start looking at what God made, and I guarantee you'll get a, it won't take long. You'll have a smile on your face. Oh, look at that. Isn't that cool? I'd go down and play with the chickens. Look at what he made. What, did he, what was he thinking when he made them? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Funny little creatures. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> and then, obviously, verse 90 begins another thought. What God does for his own. It gets personal. Our worship always gets personal. Verse 9, who keeps our soul among the living, and he does not allow our feet to be moved. For you, O God, have tested us. You've refined us as silver is refined. You brought us... Into the net, you laid affliction on our backs. You've caused men to ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through the water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. Wow. Think about how God keeps our souls. He protects us. Job said this, who was going through the ringer, right? Job 23, 10 and 12. Uh, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I just love that scripture. I used to have this little saying when I was first saved. was, no Bible, no breakfast. You know, so I made a discipline to put the spiritual first because I wanted to grow. The food didn't fall far behind, but I just kept that as a thing there, you know. <laughs> what was it, Job? Job 23, 10 through 12, verses 10 through 12. And so God has the right to test our hearts, and he does all the time. Isaiah 48, 10, 48, 10 says, Behold, I've refined you, but not as silver, I've tested you in the furnace of affliction. Now, obviously the context here, um, if we can recall 
some of Isaiah's got some pretty deep things going on, but they were going to be going into exile and they had been prophesied that they would turn away in Deuteronomy from Moses' words. But they were spiritually insensitive. They were just not, they were just enjoying the promised land and they, you know, we understand Judah's history. And, and if you read the preceding verses, you'll see that, you know, I'm telling you this so that when it comes to pass, you're not going to say, oh, I knew this. <laughs> you know, they were just in a really arrogant state. And, and God is going to refine them, but not as silver. Because when refiner is done with silver, what's the result? They're, it's complete purity. It's 99.999% on our level, right? Well, at some point in time, it's going to be 100% pure. But not in the case of Israel, not as silver. Because even though we go through the furnace of affliction, we will never be completely purified here, will we? We'll always carry the dead man around. And I, you know, Paul uses graphic language in Romans when he says, you know, who's going to loose me from this dead man? What's he talking about? One of the tortures that the Jew, the Romans would do, among other things, with prisoners that were sentenced to death is chain them to a corpse. And so Paul has in his mind, I believe, that he that sees himself chained, as it were, to his fallen nature. Now eventually that corpse is going to get to the living person and infect it with its decay, and that person is going to suffer an excruciating death. And Paul's got this picture in his mind. Who's going to loose me from this flesh, this fallen nature uh, thanks be to God see there is a complete deliverance but not until we leave and fly away and so God uses suffering to teach us lessons that we couldn't learn otherwise we shouldn't be afraid to suffer because it's going to come because we live in a cursed world and so if trouble comes our way whether we invite it or not God help us Thank God that he does refine us. He subjects us to hardship. Sometimes we're, we, as he mentions here, uh, let me finish this. Uh, you cause men to ride over our heads. You know, there's sometimes you, if you ever work for a boss you just really didn't like because he had issues that you didn't appreciate and those issues came your way far more than you wanted them to. Sometimes God puts us under taskmasters. Sometimes he has to do that to teach us and it becomes a mirror to us. I think of Jacob. What was his nick what was his name? Yeah. He'll catch her. Dirty sneaky thief. <laughs> Guess who he went to live with for twenty years? Somebody about ten times worse than he was. Laban. He think he he think Jacob was rough. That guy was a couple notches higher. Lower, I guess you would say. Uh so Sometimes taskmasters are used by God. But we go through the fire. We go through the water. We go through the storms. That's what God uses. But look at, the, look at the blessing of verse 12. But you brought us out to rich fulfillment. See, you know, this is the thing about God. And if you're suffering right now and you're going in this pain and sorrow, hang in there. God is faithful. He doesn't just restore. This is what this verse is saying. He doesn't just restore us when we submit to the whatever is going on in our lives and just 
to trust him, he not only restores us, he gives us rich fulfillment. There's something having been purged through that suffering that we're able to handle the blessings that come and it's far beyond what we could ever think or imagine. And so it's an abundance that God desired to give us. Verse 13 brings us another thing that we should do. Uh, and I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows, which my lips have uttered. My mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. And I will offer you burnt sacrifices of fat, of an, fat animals with the sweet aroma of rams. I will offer bulls with goats. Come and hear all you who fear God. And I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. And if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. So what we should do is come before him with an offering. I think it's important to come to church and always be in a giving mode. Unfortunately, I think, again, we generally come because we want to receive. But think about this for a while. If you come in order to give, it is more blessed to give than receive. If you come with it, I'm going to give God glory. I'm going to give much encouragement to my brothers and sisters around me. I'm going to look for an opportunity to give of myself to someone. If you come with that attitude as you gather, you'll leave very rich and blessed. It's, it's, that's something we should do. So you come before the Lord with an offer. Don't, be, don't come to church empty-handed. Come with an attitude of giving. But come with reverence and our worship and praise and proclaim what the Lord has done. This is what he does. He, let me tell you what God's been doing in my life. That's one of the things you can give. Give your testimony. Share what God's doing. You know, God, do you realize God is using the Gentiles to provoke the Jews? Isn't that crazy? We're so happy in Jesus, and they're like, <laughs> it's just, so there's, your blessing, the blessing that's on your life is a subtle provocation to your brothers and sisters. Man, that guy's really, man, he's, why is he so happy? Why is she always so joyful? Like, I, I want some of that. <laughs> you know, you, let's put it in the context of food. What do you got, what do you got here? Where'd you get that? I want some of that. You know, it's a provocation. We do that with one another in a good way, right? It's available. God wants to give all these kids whatever they need, whatever they ask for. And part of that is dealing with David said, dealing with your sin. You know, if I if I am unwilling to let go of my sin, and I hold tight in my self righteousness, well, that's my life. That's all I'm going to get. Gosh, isn't that shortchanging yourself? You got to learn to let it go. You got to, you know, it's he who confesses and forsakes. And God help us not let pride, you know, hold that kind of stuff within ourselves. So that's what he's saying in verse 18. You know, if I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear. I, I really want my prayers to be answered. 
And so, again, the encouragement there. And uh, to, you know, we should pray our prayers. Verse, uh, Psalm 67 is a very short one here. It's just a plea. A plea for mercy, a plea for favor, a plea to be able to preach to others what God is, is and that is good. It's a plea you know, for the, uh, to worship, for the world. We sang, it was in one of the, the uh, let all the earth rejoice. You know, the, the, that is, that's, that's something we should pray for. Let the, the earth would learn to rejoice uh, in God. Uh, let me read it here real quick. God is, be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. And all the ends of the earth shall fear him. So it's just a short little psalm, a little song, a little ditty, I guess they would call it. But notice he includes the part of the priestly prayer. You know, in number six, cause your face to shine upon us. That's his face. If I see your face, that means I'm in your presence. If, when God is present, is there any lack? No one lacks. All needs are met. So a, pr- a plea for mercy, a plea for his favor. And then, you know, I guess, I guess it would be the power to speak. So that the nations might know, right? Warren Wiersbe. Uh, I, I like, if you ever get a chance to read his book on worship, oh, I don't think there's one better. It's a great one. We always had the worship team uh, read that on occasion. Uh, praise and worship uh, for his wonderful provisions is what this psalm is, is indicating. Warren Wiersbe says this, is that God commands us to know him and worship him because he wants to give us a joyful privilege of serving and glorifying him. It isn't because God is some egotistical God that he needs his creation to worship him. I mean, that is just not the way to look at that. We receive life when God is worshipped, it is his way of imparting eternal life, joy, peace. His very, he actually shares his attributes of joy. God is the most complete being in existence. There's no lack. There, he has no need. He has no lack of anything. And so when we, he, we, he is worshipped, he shares who he is. It's just an incredible thing. And like I said, it trans- it's transforming. Psalm 68, as we uh, work through this, I'm going to speed up a little bit here, but essentially uh, this is a uh, giving God glory for his goodness. And so, again, you know, we're, 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 we're covering a number of verses here. I, I get it. But 
I find Psalms to be an incredible way of reorienting my thinking when I'm not in the right mood or the right, my mind is not in the right zone because David had a way of writing and, and, and he is so real and transparent. He brings things to bear within his heart before God and I think that's really critical. He says in verse one, let God arise. Love this song. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those also who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad and let them rejoice before God. Let them rejoice exceedingly. You know, I just relate to this kind of stuff. You know, you want bad people to go away. Don't go away mad, just go away, you know. <laughs> Verse 4, sing to God, sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds by his name, Yah, short for Yahweh, and rejoice before him. Now this is a very common understanding, and he's referred to in other places as the cloud rider. You, you know, we, I've taken you to that verse so often, I feel like I beat that drum a lot. Daniel 7, you know, 13, you know, the Son of Man, you know, coming in the clouds. Jesus is going to come in the clouds. He ascended into the clouds. There's, he's the cloud rider. That's Yahweh. He, he rides the heaven of heavens, the Bible says. And when in this whole thing is inviting God to be part of of, of what he's doing through his people. And, and so Moses, you know, uh, always started out this little saying um, as Israel would go into battle, uh, as he starts this out, let God arise. Stand up. Lord, show yourself strong. Demonstrate to the world who you are once again. Show yourself strong on the behalf of those who love you. Numbers 10 uh, Numbers 10, 35, and 36. And so it was that whenever the ark set out, Moses said, rise up, O Lord. Let your enemies be scattered and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. So this is one thing about the Bible. It's its own interpreter. David didn't think up all this stuff how many things I've already referenced here that are in other parts of Scripture? And this is why it's, I try to do this regularly in my teaching is, is not just stay right here, but see where other writers have taken, the, and, and, and taken what's already been written and bringing it to bear in their own lives. This is what we do. This is how we, you know, ter- Scripture interprets Scripture. And so um, think about that saying here of Moses. It's, 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 and we've experienced this even here when, when it becomes very intense and our worship and our praise is, is reaching, you know, people are just out of themselves. They're not, you know, looking inward. It's really worshiping the Lord. His presence almost feels somewhat tangible. It's just, it's an incredible thing, you know. And for Israel, it happened 
many times because he lived in the camp. It, you know, when certain things happened and the Shekinah really showed up, the glory, the, the priests were like, whoa, we can't even go in there, man. You know, you know and it's like you want to, but you don't want to draw attention to yourself, but there's some, more, you know, some Sunday mornings, it's like, whoa, <laughs> right? It's just intense. And that's the beauty of it. Like I prayed, you know, I pray this, like, oh, Lord, just, just bless us. You know, we pray Sunday mornings beforehand. Just bless us, Lord. Give us, give us you. Give us more than we can take. Well, maybe just a little bit more, you know, <laughs> and he does, right? It's just a wonderful thing. There's, you know, this is what we were made to do. We were created to worship God. There's no greater joy. There's no greater uh, experience for our, our lives. This is what he says, highly extol uh, him, verse 4. So praise and worship. And then, again, he goes through the history here. His march through the wilderness, the earth shook, Sinai moved, it rained in the desert. God provided water from the rock. Uh, he's the great provider. God demonstrated for 40 years his ability to provide now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure I'm not living in the Sinai Desert. And if God could take care of them for 40 years, 2 million people, I think he can pay my bills. You know, think he's limited? See, this is, again, when you read Scripture, you get a perspective, right, that you don't get from any other book you read. Think about uh, his word. It, it says, many proclaimed his word. Um, Verse 11, the Lord gave his word a great company of those who, who proclaimed it. That's really what we're doing. We're just passing on what God has told us. Here in this psalm, the kings fled, the armies fled. He blesses and comforts his children. Just again, a rehearsal. And then uh, he mentions in verse 15, uh, the mountain of Bashan. That's God's mountain. What was going on on the mount of Bashan when Israel came out of Egypt and they were moving to the promised land. Anybody know? Who is, who is there? Was it Yahweh? Anybody remember the King Og of Bashan? He was one of the giants. He was one of the mixed bloodlines. And guess who took him out? Yahweh took him out through Moses and the army of Joshua. Took him out. And see, this is what Satan does. When God says something is really important and precious, the mountain of God, what does the enemy do? I'm going to take that. What do you think is happening on the Temple Mount right now? Who's got their mosques on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem? That's just defiance. That's in your face. That's what that is. When God, there was something special about Mount Hermon as well. Well, that's the gateway to the underworld, according to the scriptures, right? I mean... So whatever's important, Satan will try to create his own stronghold there. We know that's all going to change, though. Hallelujah. So the rest of the psalm is worship, blessing the Lord, giving God strength, and honor, and glory. The nations are at the end there, towards the end, verse 32 are commanded to worship him. Again, this whole thing of the earth, that prayer will be answered during the millennium. 
It's not really being answered right now because right now the nations are under the control of the little gods, the fallen angels. That's why we have tyrannical governments all over. It's to bring man in, make mankind slaves to them. And so far, fallen man submits quite well in their blindness and foolishness. Last quote from Warren Wiersbe. God's call to real worship is to experience transformation. It is a experience of transformation. It is a call to dangerous and costly Christian living. Let me read this again. God's call to real worship, to an experience of transformation, is a call to dangerous and costly Christian living. You seek to worship God and let him transform you, you're going into the battlefield. You're going to experience spiritual warfare. Satan does not want you transformed. He doesn't want you to be the light of the world. He doesn't want you to be the salt of the earth. He, don't, he wants us blind and in slavery to him. We fell and became like him in, fall, in our fallen natures. Now God has taken us out of the slave market and he's transforming us back into his image. And he hates that. So welcome to warfare. So let's enter in through prayer.